What's up, Pittsburgh Steelers fans? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Ride. I'm Jeff Hartman, your host on this Monday, Wednesday, Friday Steeler roller coaster. It is Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you enjoyed the Masters. John Rahm is the champion. Congrats to him. Hope you had a great Easter, if that's something you celebrate. I'm excited for this show. Really am. Uh, the Monday Morning Conversation is back. And it's a little bit more Steeler-centric than it's been the last few weeks. If you think about the last three that we've had, I think it might have been the last three. Uh, we, we we had a Joey Christopoulos, who is of Fans First Sports Network, talking about the Chicago Bears about a month ago. I had Brandon Lee Galton talking about the Eagle-Steelers connection. Last week I had Rob Stats Guerrera talking about the reports and rumors of Ben Roethlisberger being coaxed to San Francisco last season. I know, I know, okay, and enough of the other teams, let's talk about the Steelers, and that's what we're going to do today. Brian Batko, beat writer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, is going to be joining me for a full 30-minute segment. He was very generous with his time. We're going to get to that. Before we get to that, though, I have to say there is some news surrounding the AFC North. Uh, in case you didn't see this, on Easter Sunday, probably around dinner time, a little bit later, it was announced that Odell Beckham Jr., that's right, OBJ, is joining the Baltimore Ravens. One-year deal, 18 mil, 15 million guaranteed. I see this, and I chuckle, not because we've seen Odell Beckham Jr. in the AFC North before when he was in the Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns, but I can't help but wonder who's going to throw him the freaking football. Tyler Huntley? Odell Beckham Jr., not just not only did he want a lucrative one-year contract, uh, there were reports he was asking for upwards of $22 million a year. $18 million is not far off, but you have to wonder if the, the Baltimore Ravens didn't say, hey, we're going to make it happen with Lamar. Hey, we're going to make sure Lamar Jackson is the quarterback because if he's not and they don't get a deal done, you have to imagine that Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be requesting a trade before the trade deadline. And that just doesn't seem, it just seems backwards to me. But hey, I hope, and I'm not alone, they, the, the Ravens want to bring up the Brinks truck for Odell, or not for OBJ, but for Lamar Jackson, put him in salary cap hell for the next 10 years, do it. I'm telling you right now, do it. So OBJ is going to be on the Steelers' radar for at least one season, unless he gets injured again. But two times a year, maybe three We'll see. Nonetheless, Odell Beckham Jr. is a member of the Baltimore Ravens. All right, enough Baltimore Ravens talk. No one wants to hear that stuff anyways. You want to hear from Brian Badko everything from what it's like working that beat after covering the Pitt Panthers. Uh, We're going to get his take on last season, what went right, what went wrong, Omar Khan's first year as GM, and what he thinks about the 2023 Steelers. That's right. The Monday Morning Conversation is coming up right after this. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Brian Batko. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. 
So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is Monday. It is the Let's Ride podcast, which means it's time for the Monday morning conversation. I've got Brian Batko of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette on. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on, man. No problem. First time being on the show. I've had a lot of beat writers on. It's good to uh, have someone that I haven't had on the show before. How long have you been covering the Steelers? Yeah, so this will be my, uh, it's, it's crazy, time flies. This will be my fifth season on the beat in 2023. Uh, it's kind of, I was just telling somebody the other day, I look back and my first season was 2019. My first day officially covering the Steelers for the Post-Gazette was draft day of that year. And that was pretty exciting because yeah. obviously they moved up for Devin Bush and it was kind of like, all right, I'm going to, you know, go through kind of on a parallel career here, uh, you know, covering this team with this player who should be here for a decade plus. And as we saw, that's not always how it works out, but uh, yeah, it's it's been a fun time so far. Been a fun ride. I've been at the Post Gazette for a little more than a decade, and uh, covered pit football before this. And yeah, it's it's been a it's been a crazy ride with COVID uh, in the middle of that, uh, which certainly threw the job into a a different place. But yeah, this will be season number five for me coming up. I'm still here, although. Devin Bush no longer is. <laughs> yeah, that's a different story altogether. Now, I do always ask this to people that uh, cover the team because I find it fascinating. When you were growing up, did you follow an NFL team? And if so, which one? Yeah, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh originally to the North Hills area specifically. So, I, of, of course, I grew up following the Steelers when I was, uh, you know, just sort of getting into football at probably eight, nine, ten years old. For, for whatever reason, I went more of the uh, contrarian route. Uh, I went more of the troll the troll direction, and I, I rooted for the Bengals for some reason. I think I was jumping on the Achilles Smith hype bandwagon. Uh, I probably just thought the Oregon uniforms were cool or something, <laughs> and probably liked the Bengals uniforms back then, not knowing much about the uh, success of the actual franchise or lack thereof. And then probably like any, uh, you know, football fan growing up in the early 2000s I sort of gravitated to the Ravens uh, with Ray Lewis and and those uh, excellent Super Bowl teams and uh, finally kind of came around more because of friends and family and uh, became much more of a Steelers fan into my uh, middle school and in high school years no no doubt about that so um, you obviously put all those kind of old allegiances to the side uh, doing this job and once you get into the journalism industry uh, you you sort of get all the fandom <laughs> beaten out of you. You know, I covered Pitt for a few years and uh, I went to Pitt. So, of course, as a student, uh, you know, I rooted for the Panthers success. But uh, you you throw those biases uh, by the wayside, cover cover teams objectively. But the good part of all that, Jeff, is I certainly have the institutional knowledge of the Steelers being that I grew up around the team and uh, and going to a lot of games and, uh, you know, wishing wishing them well. So now I'm in a different position and, and on the other side of things, but uh, it does allow for a pretty, pretty deep knowledge base of the the culture and in the players who have come through here over the years. 
At least you didn't say you like the Browns at one point. I well, mean, they weren't I mean, even, you know, in existence, I guess, <laughs> when when I first started uh, forming my football consciousness. But I can remember the, you know, vague, vague memories of the expansion draft excitement and Tim Couch and Courtney Brown and all, and all yeah. of that stuff. So, uh, yeah, they, they were they were never much to write home about. And uh, obviously growing up in a family of Steelers fans, they, they were. They were out of sight, out of mind for a while, but it was it was more so the the Ravens and uh, of course the Patriots were, were public enemy number one back then. Yeah, Browns fans always bring up Kelly Holcomb and Dennis Northcutt, even <laughs> though that game didn't pan out too well for them uh, back in the Tommy Maddox era. But when you talked about covering the team and you covered the Pitt Panthers as well, what would you say are some of the challenges of of covering the team? Because there has to be a challenge. I mean, you grew up in Pittsburgh. You said you just talked about how you kind of did have you know, that, that fandom in, in a sense, but what are some of the general challenges of covering the Steelers? So I've never found that part of it to be challenging. I think, um, you know, once you kind of understand the role of, of this job and, and really uh, what, what readers want for the most part, I, I think it's pretty easy to be objective uh, about things. I mean, that, that to me has never been a hard part. Um, and I think a lot of the times you can, you can do this job a lot better when, you know, you take off those rose colored glasses and look at things through much more of a critical lens. But uh, I, I would say one thing that I've found, um, you know, more difficult is, especially given my personal career path at the Post-Gazette, you know, I went from covering high schools where everybody wants their name in the paper. Everybody's happy to talk to you. It's pretty much like being a national writer or columnist, but instead of covering you know, the NFL as a league, you're covering a hundred some high schools in Western Pennsylvania. So, I mean, that was, you know, you don't have the the readership necessarily, but, you know, you have all the access in the world that you want to tell a lot of good stories. Then you go to the college level and of course there's more interest. The caliber of athlete that you're writing about and interviewing is, is higher, obviously. And it's kind of a happy medium of a lot of those players too. They want to get their name out there and they're happy to have you around, but um, you know, it's, it's not, uh, you know, there are players who are going to be at the next level too. So they, you know, their access can be limited at times by the institutions themselves. Whereas then you move into the pros and in theory, it's great. You've got the run of the locker room. You can walk up to any of the 53, add 16 on the practice squad. And now you're up to near 70 players. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of everything that you would want as a reporter, especially one who's relatively new to, uh, to this specific beat, but, you quickly find out that those players don't always want to do media interviews before and after practice. They, they don't always want to take two, three, four, five, ten minutes uh, to chat with a reporter and be candid about it. I think most of the time players have come to understand that in the current media climate, anything you say can and will be used against you, can <laughs> and will be turned into a headline, even if it's not necessarily by the person that you spoke to yourself. So uh, I think that's just an inherent uh, divide and an inherent difference between doing this job now in 2023 versus some of the stories that I've been told from some of my older colleagues who have been uh, sports writers for a much longer time that, you know, back then players and journalists and reporters would have off the record conversations all the time and, uh, you know, see each other out and about. Uh, I think that barriers kind of been uh, built back up again to, to some degree and, uh, you just have to find a way to still try to build those personal relationships, but but also maintaining that professional um, relationship as well. Where I'm, you know, I'm not there to make friends with these players. I'm there with a a job to do. So that's when you really start to appreciate 
the guys who understand that and do give you the time of day and uh, why they have something like the Chief Award every year uh, that goes to a Steelers player who was you know, recognized for co- cooperation uh, with the local media. Do you think that a lot of players are skeptical of the media, that they're hesitant because of they think that you're probably out to get them and if they didn't have a great performance or, or anything like that? Do you think that's a common theme amongst current players? Yeah, I think so. And I, I don't even necessarily think a lot of them are wrong to believe that. Um, you know, some of the just, you know, the natural way uh, that social media has impacted uh, all, all walks of life, I think, extends to, um, you know, trying to cover a, an NFL team and, and cover NFL players. Uh, these guys can have their own platforms if they want. It's not like the 80s and 90s where uh, if, if you want to get your message out there, what are you going to do but call up your favorite reporter or, you know, call up a national broadcaster and uh, and and say your piece. Nowadays, you've got Instagram, you've got Twitter. Uh, if, if you want to build your own brand, if you want to opine on something, you can go directly to the millions of fans who uh, pay money to buy your jerseys and watch you play on Sundays. Um, you know, there's still there's still certainly a place for traditional media, no doubt about it, because like I said at the top, I mean, we are the ones who are bringing more of a critical eye to this. And uh, there are times where players need to be scrutinized. Coaches need to be scrutinized. Teams need to be scrutinized. Um, and, and that's also, I think, where the, the niche is for, you know, every team now, too, has their own, um, you know, their own team run website that, of course, has more access to players and, um, you know, has the, the widest uh, base of, uh, of eyeballs on it, too, for sure. Um, but they're not necessarily going to be critical of, of the team. That doesn't behoove the NFL. That doesn't behoove the organization. So uh, that's that's why I think it's it's kind of rare to build that rapport um, with players who you know, they don't necessarily need us. But uh, I think there are times where it can be beneficial to them to um, you know have that objective reporter or objective um, you know uh, whether it's a TV person or, or a radio host or whatever ask them questions that that do go a little deeper and I think can connect with fan base, you know, fans on a different level. So uh, it's ever changing, of course, um, you know, there's probably a, you know, the, the next wave of social media platforms is, is still to come here uh, as, you know, I, we have to try to meet people where they are. Um, yeah. I don't know how many people watching or listening to this are picking up a hard copy of a newspaper or magazine these days. So uh, it's very different, but it, that makes the job fun as well that it's a, uh, you know, it's a moving target at all times for sure. For sure. I guarantee when you were taking journalism courses at the university of Pittsburgh, they didn't talk about how to constantly check Instagram stories and screenshot. Which is a big part of the job now. Like, you know, <laughs> people aren't offering up information. You got to go sort of yeah. find it and, uh, and basically creep on players and, and find out what they're doing in the off season. So, uh, yeah, it, it is something that you don't think about when you're taking, intro to writing 101 or uh, or even journalistic ethics or anything along those lines. It's hysterical. Okay, let's talk about some actual football. I do enjoy the insight on the beat and how that has changed even in your short time doing it. But think back to 2022. You know, the 2022 Steelers were, were very much the tale of two halves, and that's been talked about a lot in terms of the struggles early in the season, the strong finish, winning seven of nine, four in a row, Kenny Pickett only turning it over once. We all know those statistics. They've been talked about ad nauseum. When you think back, though, what do you think went right and what do you think went wrong 
with the Steelers last season. And then we're going to talk about where that leads in 2023, but we'll go back to last season. What do you think? I think what went right is the progression of, of Kenny Pickett. Eventually, obviously it got off to a rocky start and uh, I was pretty, um, you know, I questioned at the time, Mike Tomlin's decision to roll him out there for that Bills Eagles gauntlet of, of games, you know, right before, right before the off week. And, you know, maybe it wasn't great for him in the short term, you know, he and the Steelers got their butts kicked for sure. In those two games, not just on the scoreboard, but he was taking hits left and right. And they, they obviously went into the bye, um, you know, two and six and, and probably not feeling great about themselves or their, their odds of making the postseason. But after that, you know, whatever clicked for them, uh, whether it was the easier schedule, whether it was taking a step back and recalibrating as a staff and as an offense or a combination, that's that's probably the most likely, right? It's it's never one thing completely or the other. Um, you know, I, I think that in the end, seeing the strides that he made and the steps that he took uh, were, were uh, the biggest positive to take away from 2022 because I remember thinking last year around this time, you know, at the draft when they took Kenny Pickett and and kind of recruited over Mitch Trubisky and Mason Rudolph in a sense. I remember having the feeling that, okay, the, the best case scenario is either Trubisky goes out there and lights it up or he stinks it up and you know, it's time to move on. Well, I would say they kind of came through in the middle of that. I mean, he didn't, he wasn't horrible, but he got benched in week four and you know, they were, they were just itching to see the Kenny Pickett era in action. And, and once that began, I kind of had the same thought. If if he's just mediocre, you're, you're going to go into 2023 not really sure how to feel. And I, I think most people could agree, reasonable minds, that he was better than mediocre down the stretch there. And, and there was a lot more to build on than there were to po- than there was to poke holes in. And now they can feel like they're in a good place going into this draft and not being one of those teams that has buyer's remorse less than a year after picking a quarterback in the first round. So let's talk about the offense in 2023. You know, I, I talk about how I hate the word potential because that doesn't mean you're going to live up to it. But th- this offense does have a lot of potential when you think about the offensive line. Starting five last year, all returning. They make additions in Nate Herbig, Sayamalo. You can talk about LaRaven Clark all you want. I don't think he's that big of a deal. Nonetheless, uh, you still have the draft coming up. But when you think about this offense in 2023, Kenny Pickett, year two, Najee Harris, hopefully behind a better offensive line, Pat Fryermuth, a little bit more seasoned as well. Where do you think in terms of how different this could look? Where do you think that falls for the Steelers in 2023 offensively? It's hard to say because they are in the conference of offensive firepower, right? I mean, this yeah. is a it's an AFC where it almost feels like you could try to add weapons every offseason and you're you're going to be playing catch up with the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals and the Chargers. So, um, you know, they they've they've certainly invested the resources in in that side of the ball. And I think we all know for a long time there they were pretty set uh with the killer bees of Ben, Antonio Brown and and Le'Veon Bell, but uh, all things must come to an end, and it, it took a little bit of time to rebuild that core. First around Ben, but now obviously around Kenny Pickett, and you know it feels like all the pieces are in place. I, I still think there's going to be a, a franchise left tackle type added in this draft, more likely than not, and that will kind of complete the puzzle uh, to some extent here with with all these young new faces of the offense. But um, you know it's. I still need to see more to feel like they can be as explosive, be consistently as productive as the top teams in this conference and, and even 
you know, keeping pace with the Bengals in this division. So you're right. I mean, the, the potential, even that aspect of it, you know, I, I need to see more to feel like the ceiling for this group is high. And then, of course, inextricably uh, linked to that is, is the job that the coordinator does as well. And in, in Matt Canada, all play callers look better, the better players that they have. So if, if all those guys that we just mentioned across the board take a great leap forward, they're going to make the coach look better. But he's got to find a way to, to elevate uh, the cast of characters that he has here, too. So, um, you know, I'd say Pickett, of course, is, is the biggest X factor in that. You know, that goes for just about every team. Then you've got Canada uh, putting his personnel in, in the right places to make plays. Uh, and then, yeah, it's going to be the the supporting cast gelling together and finding ways to complement each other. So there, there's not a ton of holes that I feel like they need to fill. Maybe I, I would throw another pick at a slot receiver type of guy because, uh, you know, you only have the big two juries out on Calvin Austin and some of those other ancillary pieces. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're moving in the right direction for sure. That's that's kind of the bottom line with the offense for me. Mike Tomlin likes to talk about trajectories. He likes to talk about arrows pointing in different directions and not just, and he also talks about painting barns, but still. Yeah, I feel like he's been, he's been going with the painting analogy more than the arrows lately for some yeah, reason. I guess the, he's got to try to keep it fresh. He does, and, and he'll throw in new stuff every now and then. I love Mike Tomlin for that reason alone, but still the defense, like when I asked you about 2022, you know, you brought up a lot of things about Kenny Pickett in the offense, and rightfully so. And I, you think about the the promise of 2023 from an offensive perspective. You know, I look back at last season in the defense, there were some glaring holes. And then you look at free agency, you know, Devin Bush, gone. Robert Spillane, gone. Cam Sutton, Terrell Edmonds. And you think about Tyson Alualu is probably not going to be back. Sure, they, they re-signed Larry Ogunjobi. They bring in Patrick Peterson. When you think about a, a an overall perspective of the 2023 defense heading into the draft, we assume they're going to add a cornerback, possibly a safety, maybe an inside linebacker who's really athletic, a, a run and hit type guy that Mike Tomlin loves. What are your thoughts about the 2023 defense? Because a lot of fans would say that seems like it's a bigger issue than the offense just on paper. I was a big believer in the defense going into last season. I was pounding the table that they could be a top five maybe even a top three unit. And we know that that didn't really pan out. Of course, a big part of that was losing TJ Watt to injury. I and mean, you, you can't really account for losing the reigning defensive player of the year uh, for eight weeks. So that, that was a uh, just took the wind out of out of the sails of basically every level of the defense because he makes everybody's life easier. But even beyond that, you know, the cornerback play did, did not uh, meet the expectations that I think the Steelers had when they signed some of these guys either uh, from the outside or, you know, trying to take that next step on the back end there. So, I mean, Patrick Peterson, I, I thought was a good move and kind of immediately took the sting away from, from losing Cam Sutton in free agency. You know, the Terrell Edmonds departure was a little strange the way that uh, the, the Eagles certainly didn't give him a big pay raise and, and he's actually going to be making less now than he did last year. So you sort of wonder uh, what, what happened there and what the plan is at safety. You know, Keanu Neal is is in the picture now, and I suppose he can kind of play the same role, but I wonder if they'll still try to draft a three-down safety to play next to Minka Fitzpatrick, even if it's somebody who doesn't hit the field right away. So I guess, you know, all that being said, I, I think there is a, a, a really good opportunity for this defense to bounce back in 2023. You're still a pretty top-heavy unit by necessity with the money that you're paying T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, and, and Minka Fitzpatrick. But 
on the bright side of that, you know, I think once he returned, TJ Watt started looking like himself more and more by the end of the season. We all know Cam Hayward just continues to play at a high level. I'm not about to be the one that predicts he's going to fall off. And Mika Fitzpatrick was the team MVP last year and, you know, obviously rewarded the Steelers for giving him that big money deal. So as long as those three guys stay healthy and, you know, continue to, um, you know, play at, at the level that they've proven they can can play at, uh, then you just need some of those role players to fill in around them. And I think Larry Joby health can, you know, is a big concern with him for sure, but makes me think the Steelers like what they saw that they did go back to the table and, and bring him back on another pretty lucrative deal. Uh, DeMonte KZ proved to be a nice piece uh, once he got into the lineup last season. And uh, then you've just got, you know, players like Levi Wallace and DeMarvin Leal and Isaiah Loudermilk, who they, they don't even need to be necessarily every down players, but when they're in there, make an impact. And and I think, you know, we've seen flashes from most of those guys. Uh, you know, I, I didn't even mention Alex Highsmith being the Robin to TJ Watts Batman, but uh, I think he has to give you uh, a good feeling about the trajectory that he's on. And I do still think that the Steelers will find a way to make it work with him long-term as well. I hope so. I want to talk about the free agents. You mentioned some of those acquisitions, Patrick Peterson, re-signing KZ, Larry Ogunjobi. When you look at it both offensively and defensively, was there a player that you would say, as of now, this was my favorite signing? And if so, who was that? It's probably Peterson. I still think he can can get it done even at his advanced age. He seems to be somewhat of a marvel <laughs> athletically. I mean, the pedigree is is off the charts. And just hearing him when he had his intro press conference with us down at, at the team facility on the south side, hearing his kind of openness to moving around if they need to and having maybe the flexibility that's not necessarily on his resume and, and not on his film, uh, that, that makes me think that he could play wear more hats uh, than, than initially expected when they made that signing. Because we know that Cam Sutton's versatility was was probably his calling card and the biggest thing that made him valuable, not just to the Steelers, but what the Lions saw in him as well uh, to, to give him that big deal. So I, I think that Peterson having you know the, the chance to come in here and, and not just stabilize the cornerback group, uh, which was scrambling a lot of the time last season, uh, but possibly even play inside, uh, possibly mentor a young player if they end up using a first or second round pick on an outside corner. Uh, that move really made a lot of sense to me. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, this might be his last two years in the NFL, but uh, if he can give the Steelers uh, a good 17 games or if it ends up being 34 games and some change, uh, I think that'll look good for both sides there. P2, he's also a single-digit handicap. I didn't realize that at the time, but he's yeah, you know his, his golf game will fit right in with the uh, with the Steelers too. I think there there are some some pretty sharp golfers. I know Levi Wallace likes to golf a lot, yep. and I don't know if uh, Kenny Pickett's any good, but I think he's he trying to get into it. So uh, maybe Patrick Peterson can take him under his wing, and and it could have nothing to do with football. I know TJ Watt's been playing. Yeah, uh, he, he and I him. Have, he's have talked about uh, have talked about golfing a lot. So I, I think there's. I think there are some pretty good players in the locker room. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's talk about the upcoming draft. You know, you look at all the free agent signings and you think about the roster as a whole. Uh, you know, the Steelers with three picks in the top 50, uh, that's it's pretty exciting for the fan base, for sure. And where do you think the Steelers go? Uh, you already mentioned potential offensive tackle. Where else do you think the Steelers might go with those top three picks? 
Yeah, the closer we get, uh, I'm sort of deciding here at this point that I think they're going to go corner and tackle, offensive tackle with their first two picks in some order. Um, You know, the dark horse for me would be defensive tackle. You know, I think they could use another big body on the interior and and especially somebody with some versatility, a guy who could play in the the base 3-4 when you're in those rough and tumble uh, January matchups with the Browns and the Ravens. Um, Who knows how Baltimore is going to remake itself uh, with or without Lamar Jackson at this point. But you feel like you're going to be in those rainy, snowy games. So you got to at least have the ability to get some bigger bodies out there. But if it's a if it's a guy like a Brian Brzee from Clemson who could also you know play in sub packages and give you some pass rushing value, I could see that being the wild card for a first round pick. But uh, if that doesn't work out, then I, I think corner or tackle is, is where they've allowed themselves to to kind of take the biggest swing here in this draft. And it, it seems to be a pretty good draft for both positions. You know, the tackles, as usual, are more top heavy. I think that's been a bit of a predicament for the Steelers over these last few drafts. I think they've wanted to try to upgrade at that spot. But with where they've been picking, uh, they haven't really had the opportunity to, to either have, uh, you know, one of the top guys fall to them and then they get to a point where, you're going to feel like you're reaching if, if you go tackle uh, in the first round. So that, that could happen again this year. Uh, but if it doesn't, you know, one of those big three in Broderick Jones, Paris Johnson, or Peter Skaronsky would be mighty tempting. And in, you know, uh, the other position again, I think cornerback, it's, it's just, a, it's a puzzle because I think there's a lot of great talent at the top with Devin Witherspoon and, and Christian Gonzalez. And of course, Joey Porter Jr. But I think it's just a deep group too. And that, if you you know if you go a different direction in the first round, then you could still get somebody who could either step in right away or develop as an eventual starting corner at 32, at 49. Maybe even in the third round, you get somebody with the athletic traits that you coach him up, and you know you you keep Patrick Peterson and Levi Wallace out there, and he's got time to learn on the job. So th- those to me are the three the three areas where I think the Steelers have the biggest needs on their roster at the moment, but. Uh, the, the nice thing about their moves in free agency, Jeff, is they've given themselves a chance to, um, you know, have starter caliber players at pretty much every spot. And that means that you've got a chance to uh, take a high ceiling guy at just about any position as well. So you talked about the moves and you talk about Omar Khan in his first go around with his, you know, a full free agency under his tenure. Yes, he was the one that brought in Larry Ogunjobi last season. Uh, but what were your thoughts? Uh, what are your thoughts so far on the early uh, return of the Omar Khan era? I think when when you look at his single biggest moves so far, I mean, I think the the Larry Ogunjobi one year, eight million dollar deal. Uh, last June or July, whenever it was, you know, that, that was a, that was a solid move and a, uh, a, a little bit of a risk on a guy who had some injury concerns, but it turned out that he could still play and he was still productive for them in the middle of that defensive line. And they needed it. I don't know what their run defense would have looked like last year without him in the lineup. So I, I give con credit for that one. And the biggest of course is, is the chase Claypool trade, which I don't know how anybody could look at that as anything but a wild success <laughs> thus far. Yeah. It was it was the exact right combination of knowing what could have helped Kenny Pickett and this offense, or I guess I should say not hurt them too much um, because they still found a way to produce points and, and obviously complete some comebacks and win games, which is most important uh, after sending him to Chicago. But it was also just a, a shrewd move of realizing 
the schedule that lay in front of the Bears and how difficult it was going to be for them to dig their way out of their early hole. So that, that was that was a, a very smooth move by Omar Khan to, to get what essentially amounts to a, a first round pick in a normal year for Chase Claypool. So, um, you know, those are the biggest things to judge him by. Some of his his minor moves haven't worked out as well. The Malik Reed trade last year on cutdown day. You know, William Jackson, the third, kind of a no harm, no foul type of deal. But, uh, you know, he didn't help them, obviously, in the second half of that season. And now this is where we really get to judge him the most is his first draft. And uh, I think you you have to look at it a little bit differently than when Kevin Colbert was calling the shots in year 20 or 21, um, because there is Andy Weidel in there now as the assistant GM. But, you know, this is ultimately it's he's the, you know, Omar Khan is the general manager. This is on. His resume, these picks will go under his name, and that's going to be very, very fun to track here uh, You know, once we get to late April and then seeing how these players pan out. Last question for you, you got to ask. Hearing any rumors, anything going around? Is the mill been uh, being turned up? Is it, I know we still have a couple weeks till the draft, but what are you hearing, anything? No, I mean, it's it's quiet, as it always is with the Steelers, but the, the nice thing about the way they do business, even if they don't leak a lot of stuff, you know, they're, they're, they generally play it pretty straight up with their pre-draft visits. And we've been tracking those over the last month. You know, guys are, are cycling through the South side and they're at exactly the positions that you would expect, right? Corner, uh, tackle, offensive tackle, defensive tackle. Um, so I think you're, you're pretty much seeing the draft plan uh, get clarified a little bit there. I don't think they've ever really been the type of franchise to throw out the smoke screens or bring in these real controversial visitors. They want to actually get to know the players uh, who they're flying in to Pittsburgh. I remember Kevin Colbert talking during the COVID season about how they realized that they could be a lot more efficient with their visits. So uh, I don't think they would be bringing players in if they weren't serious about uh, their interest in them and doing their due diligence on them in case they land them or have a chance to pick them in this draft. So uh, that's, you know, I, I raise my eyebrows at, at players like Deontay Banks and, Christian Gonzalez and, you know, Siaki Ika, Anton Harrison coming in here, uh, Tuli Tuapilotu. Um, so th those are all names that make sense to me. And uh, I'll be curious to see who else uh, comes through the facility over these last couple of weeks. If you think back to last year, Chris Oladokin came in, Mark Robinson came in. So those were even lower level prospects who weren't probably really on anybody's radar until the Steelers uh, publicly showed interest in them, and then they ended up drafting them. Uh, that's that's what makes uh, this time of year uh, stay out of the lull a little bit. We're in full speculation season. Not, not much has really happened <laughs> since the end of uh, of the combine and, and pro days, but uh, we can at least build on a few more data points here to, to try to get a line on what they're thinking. For sure, for sure. Well, Brian, I want to thank you for your time. I want to give you a chance to let our listeners know where they can find you on social media, what you have going on. I'll give you the platform. Go ahead. Yeah, my Twitter is just uh, my name, uh, at Brian Batco. We've got plenty of draft content coming out over these next couple weeks at post-gazette.com. Myself, Ray Fittipaldo, Jerry Dulac. I'm sure all of our columnists will be weighing in, even amid uh, Penguins and, and Pirates season heating up. So, um, you know, check out, I guess, my, my Steelers chat every Monday on the Post-Gazette website, my mailbag that runs every Friday. I've got a couple mock draft, a few mock draft articles coming out here soon. Uh, appreciate everybody following following along, and uh, and thanks for having me on the show, Jeff. No problem. Thanks a lot. Good stuff. Make sure you check out Brian in the Post-Gazette's coverage of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Until next time, thanks for joining. We appreciate it.
All right, big thanks to Brian for taking the time on this on that Easter weekend. Uh, he's got a young family. I know what that's like. Obviously, uh, it was it was. I'm very gracious that he was willing to take the time and talk with us. So, uh, give him a follow on Twitter. Uh, check out some of the work that he's doing over at the Post Gazette. Good stuff. Uh, one of the more reliable sources, in my opinion. So, folks, that's a great show. It's a wrap for this show this Monday. Hopefully, you're. You're back at work. You're back in the groove, getting your week off uh, on the right foot. Be on the lookout Tuesday morning for the question for the mailbag. We'll be doing that on Wednesday's podcast. Get those questions in. Really want to see those. But you know what? Hey, you know how we finish it out here. Be safe, be kind, and God bless. Have a great start to your week, everyone. We'll see you on Wednesday. Thanks, Tuesday.